one of the biggest parties of the year is at the very beginning of the year and it was a lingerie party and I remember thinking I don't want to do this <laughs> and not because I was like oh this is not modest or this is like bad it was just like this isn't authentic to who I am when you think about Greek life Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind but we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. I am Jay Mack. This is Allison. We are your co-hosts for the Greek and Christian podcast. So uh, last episode to catch up, if you tuned in last week, um, we talked about the tension between being Greek and Christian. And how do you navigate uh, this tension of trying to do both? Uh, when you bring God and Greek life together, when you try to bring together your faith and your friends how do you navigate uh, that tension? And with that, we are starting a series on party culture, uh, which is a pertinent topic because this is the beginning of the school year. So chances are you're going to a lot of parties. Uh, there's dirty rush parties, house parties, mixers, going downtown and everything in between. Uh, and so chances are if you are trying to live out your faith or you're exploring what it looks like to live out your faith, uh, in the context of a party, you're going to have lots of instances uh, where you're going to have to navigate uh, this tension. And so we're going to talk about things that you encounter in a party from hooking up to drinking cheap boxed wine and beer and everything in between. Ah, uh, Franzia. I don't really miss that. So anyway, this week we are, we're starting our, our series uh, with the pre-party. So what we do before we go out, and this is all about image, right? The way we perceive ourselves, the way we want others to see us, and specifically, how do we deal with our body image, the way we, we see our bodies? What does God think about the ways that we get ready or our pre-gaming activities? So John, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah. So we have Melissa McCormick, better known as Mel. Uh, Mel is an alumna from uh, San Diego State University, where she was a Kappa Alpha Theta. Uh, shout out to anybody on the West Coast. Uh, she has lived in Greek life, both with and without Jesus. So she knows what it's like on both ends of the spectrum. Um, and then she also brings a little professional expertise uh, because after school, she got her master's in marriage and family therapy, and she specializes in eating disorders and trauma. So all that to say, Mel is pretty awesome, and uh, we're excited to have you. What's up, Mel? Thank you. Hi. Very excited to be here. So, Mel, before we get started, uh, we've been asking people, uh, or at least Allison and I talked about uh, nicknames. What was your uh, nickname? Oh, boy. Well, uh, my nickname, I had a few, but the one that I will share <laughs> is a nickname that I was given at, uh, at a specific fraternity, and it was Tiny Dancer. That was, uh, that was <laughs> my nickname in college. And it fit. It fit pretty well. Like yes, uh, you can't see Mel, uh, but Mel is a petite 
woman. Um, and she is a really good dancer if you spent any time around her. Thank you. Oh, it's a very descriptive nickname. I could get lots of images uh, from Tiny yeah. Dancer at a Fraternity that's, House. Uh, that's correct. Good times. Good times. Yes. Cool. So let's jump into our topic uh, for this week. We're talking about uh, image, right? Uh, as you're getting ready pre for the pre-party, about to go out, people are getting dressed, uh, having drinks. Um, an image is a big thing that's happening under the surface, things that people aren't really thinking about, uh, but things that are uh, a real live issue. So, um, but before that, let's just start off with uh, a little bit of your story. So what was it like joining your uh, sorority uh, and where were you at in your faith and kind of what was the party culture at San Diego State? Hmm, yes, well, I always love when people tell stories about going Greek and they, they're like, oh, I, I thought I would never go Greek. And then the Greek community really won me over. You know, I love those stories. That's not my story at all. I knew I wanted to go Greek yeah. forever. <laughs> and so I came in like really rearing to go. <laughs> and so I uh, was super excited to, to kind of get a feel for, for all of the chapters. And so there's a little bit of dirty rushing going on before recruitment started. And so I was going out with some older friends that I'd had um, from high school and, um, so when recruitment came around, I knew that Theta was the chapter that I wanted. Uh, and so going through recruitment was was crazy. There's, you know, over a thousand girls going through uh, this experience together. And so when I actually got into the chapter, I felt really excited, of course. And I also had felt like I had somehow snuck in, like I had cheated the system, <laughs> like I didn't belong to be, I didn't belong there. I shouldn't have been there. Um, so I think I kind of carried that with me for the first year or so uh, of being Greek. And the party culture at state is pretty all-encompassing. It's, yeah. um, I would say that the, the party dynamics, they they really, they rule the just the power of the campus. So if you are having good parties and you're having a lot of people show up, then you have a lot of power on campus. And if you're not, then you don't have any power on campus. So um when I was in school, that Playboy's top 10 party schools was like a really big deal. I don't think they do that quite as much anymore, but they would like come to your campus and host these parties. And so San Diego State was in the, the top 10 of the Playboy um, schools, you know, super classy parties. Quite an accomplishment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things I'm the most proud of when I reflect on my college. So, uh, I'm sure the university so I hope you can hear the sarcasm. Yeah, here. there's a lot of sarcasm. Yeah. The university administration was uh, super excited about that accolade. Yes, it comes up on the on the tours with the parents for sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's the party culture. Nice. Mel, I want you to think back, right? Typical Thursday, Friday, Saturday night when you were going out. I want you to share with us like what were some of the rituals or routines that you and your sorority sisters went through to get ready to go out? Okay. Well, uh, I think one of the perks of one of the many perks of being in a sorority is that you have endless amounts of closets to choose from. So every closet was fair game. So you kind of could just come in and out of people's rooms and try on all their clothes. As I look back at my photos from college, I think I'm in my own clothes about like 10% of the time. <laughs> the rest of the time I'm just in like some combination of my friend's clothing. Um, but of course that meant that everyone was about the same size. So there was definitely some pressure trying to, to make sure that you fit into all of these tiny, tiny articles of clothing that we are wearing. 
Um, but I think in terms of rituals, I mean, we just drank a lot while we were getting ready. Um, yeah, there was just a lot of, you know, cheap alcohol and playing music and getting ready together. And then hundreds of girls meeting in the chapter room and singing some inappropriate songs and marching your way over to whatever fraternity you're going to. That's it. So <laughs> I relate with a lot of that, right? I'm a female, um, but I want to hear John's experience of getting ready to go out. What was it like from the fraternity perspective, the, the rituals and routines that you and your fraternity brothers went through? Yeah, so it was pretty cool that, uh, I mean, you got like 50 guys and access to all their closets and a big, you know, hey, Ben, can I, uh, can I get that pair of shorts uh, for the party? <laughs> Uh, obviously very different uh, in, uh, in fraternity um, culture. Yeah, getting ready. I mean, um, it's interesting. I mean, it's much less about like what you're going to wear and all that kind of stuff. And it's more about like what you're going to do uh, that night and what you hope will happen uh, that night. Obviously, lots of music, uh, lots of pre-partying, lots of drinking, uh, smoking going on. And uh there's a lot of excitement and anticipation of, like I said, what's what's going to happen uh, that night. Um, who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to hook up with? Are you going to get to hook up with anybody? Will a girl find you attractive enough or worthy enough uh, to go home with you? Um, are you going to have a good time? All those sorts of things. And so uh, I think, um, whereas... And it's, it's interesting as I sort of reflect on it, uh, I think for, for girls, the emphasis is really on appearance a lot of the times. Uh, for guys, I think it's a little more performance. Uh, it mm. includes appearance, but it's much more than that. Uh, it's much more about how you carry yourself, like what type of guy are you? And you have all these different personalities, right? You got the funny guy, you got the guy who drinks a lot, you got the um, the good looking guy that all the girls want to be with, you know, and so you have all these competing personalities and all these guys together. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a game of, uh, having fun together, uh, while also in some ways like one upping, uh, one another and trying mm. to be like the quote unquote, like that guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really good, John. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear, Mel. I mean, um, so talking about image, how did you specifically struggle with your image uh, in college? You know, what was um, what were some of the issues that you really wrestled with? Yeah, well, I think I don't know if I really knew that I was struggling with image when it was happening, but I was definitely struggling with my image. Uh, I think growing up, I was a competitive gymnast and then a competitive cheerleader. So good times. Yeah. So lots I, of competition. yeah, lots of competition and lots of like body awareness and being aware of kind of what, what your body looks like and um, kind of striving for perfection. So that translated into my experience in my sorority for sure. I think I, I think since I kind of got into Theta and looked around and was kind of like, what am I doing here? Um, it just felt like everyone was supermodels. <laughs> like it just felt like I was sincerely surrounded by like 200 supermodels all the time, um, which was, I think would be an overwhelming experience for anyone. Um, and it certainly felt overwhelming to me at times. So I think I just was very aware of that. And I think comparison runs rampant in 
sure. chapters. And I think it it was never, I loved my sister. So it was, it was never like a, you know, you wanted to take something away from them. And that wasn't my experience at least, but I think it was something that I, it was always in the back of my mind. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So like, tell me more about that. Like the, the culture of image in your sorority, like, what did you notice about your sisters and how they viewed themselves or, you know, the role that image played with them and as you were interacting with them? I think they were just really hard on themselves, as was I. Um, I was less verbal about it because that's my personality doesn't um, like to communicate weakness. <laughs> but I think there was a lot of just talk, a body like negative body image talk about you know, things that they would change about their bodies. But, you know, these women were also extremely successful at everything that they did. So <laughs> they were extremely smart mm. and did really well in school. And many of them had really successful internships and relationships. And so it, it was as if this was kind of one area of their life where it was okay to communicate negative things about themselves when we weren't doing that in other areas of our life, which I think was, was mm. interesting to see that dichotomy. Yeah, it's interesting sometimes that the people that seem to have everything uh, are some of the most insecure people, you know, uh, that really like deep down. And, uh, you know, part of me, we'll get into drinking later. Part of me wonders if, if that is part of the motivation for people to drink because it gives you liquid confidence, you know, because without it, uh, people really aren't confident in like who they are, their personality or their appearance or any of those sorts of things. And um, that's kind of the irony uh, because Greek life, a lot of times sorority girls and fraternity guys, they're like the it people, you know, they, they're the people that seem to have, have it all. And yet you walk into, like you said, Mel, like a sorority house of seemingly supermodels who are all looking in the mirror and saying, I want to change this or I want to change that yeah. or, you know. I think it's also just Greek life is a microcosm of the bigger culture. And so sure. women in, in larger culture, we, there's so much pressure on us, uh, what, what we're supposed to look like and uh, just so much comparison. And so I think that sunk into the culture of, of my chapter as well. I think overall it can be in a, it's an objectifying experience uh, because the rankings of these chapters are often based on, what people look like. And so because of that, there is a lot of pressure uh, on appearance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break uh, for a little ad, and then we will get back into the conversation where we ask Mel a little bit more about, you know, what shifted in her life and, and what her role as a therapist has uh, to do with her thoughts and image now. Self-critical thoughts drove Lee Blum to an eating disorder and addictive behaviors. Eventually, she found herself hospitalized with clinical depression. But that's not the end of the story. Check out Lee Blum's book, Table in the Darkness, all about her journey of finding healing for her eating disorder. If you or someone you love has been at this dark table, you will find her spiritual journey encouraging. Visit ivypress.com and search for Table in the Darkness to find this book and order your copy today. All right, we are back um, talking with Mel here, Melissa McCormick, aka Tiny Dancer, all about image and how, uh, right, how it relates to our experience with parties and Greek culture. Um, yeah. 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 So I'd be interested, uh, Mel, um, 
I mean, you obviously talked about uh, a lot of the struggles uh, and there was a lot of comparison uh, going on in the sorority house, especially getting ready as you're exchanging clothes and trying other people's things on. Uh, you come with a very competitive like nature. Um, was there a turning point uh, for you when it came to like how you saw yourself uh, both in general image and in, in body image? And what was that like for you? Did your faith uh, have anything to do with that? Um, do you want to speak to that? Yes. <laughs> yes, just all those things. There was a, a deep sense in me, even before I met Jesus, which I met Jesus um, around my sophomore year of college uh, is when I started to dabble. I dabbled for a while. I didn't, uh, I didn't say yes <laughs> until later on in college, but uh, it's, it started with this. I had this deep sense that I wanted to be myself and I wanted that so badly, even more than I think I wanted to, to fit into this kind of image of what you know what we were supposed to look like and so i started to wrestle with that pretty early on i remember the well honestly one of the biggest parties of the year is at the very beginning of the year and it was a lingerie party and i remember thinking i don't want to do this <laughs> and not because i was like oh this is not modest or this is like bad it was just like this isn't authentic to who i am and so that I think that was something that just continued to come up for me. And then when I did actually come to know Jesus and and really started to wrestle with why I was struggling with my image, I think that's when a lot of freedom came. And I think that is kind of the turning point for a lot of people that I work with as well, is that when we start to ask ourselves, why am I pursuing this image? And for me, it was for a sense of control. There were things that just felt super out of control uh, throughout my whole life and image or my body was one way that I really managed it. If I was fixating on my body or fixating on what I looked like, it gave me somewhere to put all that energy. And so when I came to know Jesus was when I realized that and realized that I needed to let go of this need for control in my life. And so that was the beginning of that journey for me. Oh, that's a good thought. I, can totally relate with you, Mel. I mean, you know, I think there were issues that I had physically, you know, with my body in college, but I think a lot of it played out for me in my personality and how I was portraying myself to the world. And when I got real with, I mean, what happened was basically some sorority sister just saw through my facade that I really didn't have it all together, that I was faking it, you know, that I wasn't right, that I just wasn't being real. Um, and it was this turning point for me where I realized I am trying to control the way people see me, like, because of my family background, and we'll get into that probably in a different episode of the podcast. I did not have much control when I was a kid. And so the way that I created control in my life and created safety was through managing my image. Yeah. I mean, it's the same, it's the same for guys too. I mean, uh, it feels bigger than just a uh, body image, but it, that's still uh, a big part of it. I mean, when I was in school, I, I worked out religiously five days a week and it wasn't because I wanted to be, I uh, wasn't pursuing health and wellness. <laughs> it was because I wanted to have the type of body that sorority girls looked at uh, and said, I want that, you know? Um, and that drove me and how many people are out there like doing punishing workouts and eating, skimping by on meals, not out of a sense of like being healthy, but like you said, 
just trying to control uh, something, trying to create or manufacture this sort of uh, image. Mm -hmm. So Mel, this is maybe the million dollar question. What do you think it means to have a healthy body image? A uh, healthy body image is a body image where you feel happy and confident and you're accepting of yourself in a way that doesn't require your body to meet the standards of the world around you. So to me, I don't think having a healthy body image means that you just love every single thing about your body and it's and you really think it's perfect and it's always going to be perfect and you're kind of just in that kind of phase of either denial or just kind of burying the insecurities. I think it's okay to be insecure. Uh, I think that's, well, it is normal because most people are insecure about their bodies, but um, I think having a healthy view of your body is not requiring it to meet the standards of the world around you. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, uh, so what would you say, especially from, I mean, because again, you're a therapist, uh, you specialize in eating disorders, you come across this uh, stuff a lot. Uh, what would you see as the most common like hindrances to people having a healthy body image? It's hands down anxiety. So in most cases, our fixation with our bodies or with food or ever over exercising is a symptom of a greater anxiety or insecurity in our lives uh, because it's a, it's a vulnerable feeling when our bodies don't match the ideal version of you know what the culture says that we should look like. And so that, that causes anxiety. And as we get in touch with whatever that fear is that's, that's driving us, if it's a fear of not being good enough, it's a, if it's a fear of not being in control, when we get in touch with that, that's when we can, you know, find healing from that anxiety that's driving that obsession. Yeah. It's interesting because that, like the diagnosis train changes the prognosis, right? Uh, it changes the, the question of uh, like, how do I get this type of body to, mm. how do I deal with this anxiety? Like, right. that's the deeper question. That's actually the question that's going to enable you to have a healthy body image, not mm -hmm. shaving off 10 pounds or becoming like a funnier guy or uh, any of those things. Right. Um, right. And, and with that, I guess I would ask like, what are some, uh, again, from uh, like a therapist you've seen uh, both men and women, are there similarities and differences uh, between um, or challenges that men and women face in having a healthy body image? I think it's really all the same at the end of the day. I think how it, how it manifests may be a little bit different where women have oftentimes wanted to make themselves smaller. And I think we see that with opinions. We see that with women wanting to take up less space. We see this kind of sense of being smaller, which luckily is changing now in culture. Women are feeling like they can take up more space as they should. And with men, it's about being bigger. It's about being stronger. And so, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it comes down to the same anxiety of, of feeling like you're not enough and you're not, you're not good enough the way that you are. And so it's a way to control that uh, or, well, it's a false, a false sense of control, of course, but. Mm. Yeah. And that's where, right. Uh, we would say that the gospel is like steroids for that <laughs> uh, to say that you are enough so much so that, uh, you know, God himself was willing to give up everything just for you. You know, you were worth it. Uh, um, so, yeah. Yeah.
for me too, I just want to acknowledge that it's it body image does feel different for me personally than something like drinking was in college. Um, and that I think as I got older and as I graduated and you know, alcohol is still all around me at, at every, everywhere I go. And I did have to take a period of time where I didn't drink after I graduated because I just didn't know how to, I just didn't know how to do it in a way that was like appropriate, you know, like being an alumni and blacking out at a tailgate. It's like, okay, wow. That's like, let's maybe get it together. But I feel like I had to take a break. I had to take a break and I had to figure it out. And I feel like I was able to do that. And with body image, it's something that is, it really ebbs and flows. Like it really, I go through seasons still that it are still really hard for me. And I have to come to the Lord and I have to say, Hey, I'm having a hard time trusting you with this area of my life. And I think the point is not to just like slap a Bible verse on my experience and say, well, Mel, you shouldn't be insecure because God loves you. I think it's deeper than that. This is like a deep thing that I have to grow in trusting that the Lord is going to provide for me in all these areas of my life, even if I feel like I'm not perfect or I'm not in control. And so as you can imagine, that's Mm. some deep stuff like that's, and I think that's going to be a lifelong journey. Absolutely. Hopefully that takes the the pressure off. Like if anybody's listening and you're just exploring faith, or even if you're following Jesus, hopefully that uh, gives you a, you know, a breath of fresh air of the fact that it's not like you just make a decision to follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden, like everything's perfect. Right. Like you view yourself in a, in a healthy way. And uh, like, it, no, that's where it goes back to like, it's a constant tension. And uh, that's where it, having people around you and community, like we talked about last week, plays a huge role in people reminding you like, no, like you are worth it. Uh, and don't go back down that path and don't say that about yourself. You know, uh, right. you're, you're better than that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's really good. Um, so Mel, I'd love for you to share a little bit, you know, for the Greeks who are hearing this in our audience, what, what advice would you give them as they, they think about their image? One thing I've noticed on campus is this kind of uh, fixation with eating really well and exercising a lot. Uh, And it can be masked by just trying to be healthy. And so there's actually a word for that. It's called orthorexia. It's a diagnosis. (laughs) So it's actually an eating disorder. Uh, And it's, it's defined as an overly, it's a, it's overly fixating on righteous eating and exercise is what the, the diagnosis says. And so what that means is, it's we've blurred that line now between just being healthy and being conscious and being obsessed. And so I think that is a really fine line that I see a lot of Greek students blocking. Um, and so what I would say is, is really be honest with yourself about what your intentions are, because it is so easy to say that you're just trying to be healthy and that will be celebrated by everyone around you. People will celebrate your discipline, how your body looks, but I think we have to be really honest with ourselves um, about why we're doing what we're doing. And if you're in a place where you're trying to be healthy and you're noticing that your self-worth and your self-esteem is totally dependent on what you eat and if you exercise, that means that this is a bigger conversation than just body image. That means that you could be entering into an actual disorder. And so I would recommend speaking with somebody as soon as you can to just make sure that you are healthy uh, because it is really dangerous and it is a slippery slope to walk down that path, especially in a, in a space that celebrates it um, like Greek culture. Yeah. So with that, Mel, I mean, um, for everybody that's listening, that's um, 
that they personally struggle with this uh, or they know somebody uh, that's struggling with this? Um, are there any resources uh, that you would recommend? I would say the first priority is to make sure that you're physically safe and physically healthy. And so if you've been restricting your diet for a prolonged amount of time and or you've been engaging in purging, which would be vomiting or over exercising, your first priority is going to be seeing an actual doctor who can help make sure that you're healthy. Uh, and then in addition to that, if you've been engaging in those behaviors or not, but you're struggling with the some of the thoughts that we're talking about, uh, struggling with self-esteem, uh, then it would be in your best interest to talk to a therapist who specializes in eating disorders, who can help you understand what your next steps are going to be to get you healthy. And so there are gonna be a few links uh, listed below for you where you can find therapists that are nearby that can really help you with things like trauma and eating disorders. Yeah, thanks, Mel. And a quick note as well. She wrote an awesome blog for Greek Varsity. I think it's about a year ago. Um, it's called Your Body Is Spring Break Ready. <laughs> and so it's the spring break theme, but it's relevant all year round. And so we'll drop the link to that uh, in the episode uh, notes. And yeah, Mel, gosh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was awesome to have you here. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you yeah. both. Yeah, for sure. And as always, if you like our content, make sure that you rate, share, and subscribe the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Greek IV. So we will see you next week. Hi, my name is Taylor Dibble and I'm a proud member of Delta Phi Epsilon at Central Michigan University. Fire up chips. I love Greek IV because not only has it brought me closer to God, but it's brought me closer to my sisters, my fellow peers at CMU, and connected me with a great bunch of people and resources to further my faith and in my community. The Greek and Christian Podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity, a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus or partner with us. Visit greek.intervarsity.org.